We are in this study and we're talking about being a fan or a follower. The whole idea, again, being all in in this series, uh, in your commitment, in your faith, and not just in some kind of accolades or whatever. I want you to evaluate with me and use the top of your page to, to grade your own life for a moment, okay? So use the top of that page and I want you to answer this question, pass or fail, all right? Think about it. I'm gonna, it's gonna be kind of a lengthy question. And you may even want to take some time even in the service and not answer it up front. But as you look at the past week of your life, let's give it some parameters. The past week of your life, would you say that you passed or you failed when it came to being a follower of Christ all in? Being all in the game, all in the calling, all in what He's called you to. Would you look at your life and say, okay, I have passed in this area. This is something that I get a pass grade on this week. Now, no, no promises, no guarantees this coming week, but this week I have passed. Or was one of those, it's like, I'd just soon this week not come back around. I would just soon that this past week, when it comes to my walking with God, when it comes to my thought life, when it comes to my attitude with my kids, my family, whatever, that it would just, it would just go away and not come back. Pass or fail? Grade yourself in that area. We want to do so well. This series challenges us to to step up to a higher standard, a higher calling, a higher commitment. Uh, but are we? Are we doing that? And and, and sometimes when we do, we, we make a 40-day commitment to read the Word, but then we fail in four days. Uh, and so then we just beat ourselves down. That's not the goal of this whole thing. As we set a higher standard that, okay, we missed, so therefore I'm just a loser in the whole Christian faith thing. You know, I, I need to get past that because here's the reality. This world is complicated. We have made it complicated. We are complicated people. Okay, now this is not how God designed it to be. It's just a matter of the way we have devolved or uh, digressed over time and in our life. When God made the world in six days, he had the seventh day to rest. And if it wasn't good, he could have fixed it, I figure, on the seventh day. But when he got through with six days, he looked back across all of his work and he said, it is good. It's right. It's good. It's the way I want it. It's the way I designed it. It's all in order. The systems of the world are in place. The, the kingdoms of the world are in place. I'm in place. Everything is in order. But the problem is, is that we have made it complicated. It's a Facebook status. You have made your relationships complicated, your life complicated, your career. We have made it complicated. God didn't make it complicated. He made it good. And I get scripture to back this up. If you could read with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. God made us plain and simple. Read it with me. God made us plain and simple. But we have made ourselves. We did it. We took what God made good, beautiful, wonderful, simple in order. And we're the ones who turn the basket upside down. We're the ones in our own complexities have done, created in our own independence, desire to be our own masters. We've done it to ourselves. We're the ones who messed up that relationship. We're the ones who told that little bit of a lie and it, and it cost us our career. We're the ones. So how do you fix it? How do we, how do, how, how do we remedy that? Because that's the world that we live in. I was reading a long time ago. It was, it was an op-ed in a magazine, and a person said it like this, and I copied it out probably back in 2000. This is how old this is. And I've kept it on file for days like today. And this is what it says. The paradox of our time in history is that we spend more 
but we have less. We buy more, but we enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, but less time. More medicine, but less wellness. We read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but we've reduced our values. These are the times, and this is a very convicting statement, these are the times of tall men and short character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the days of two incomes but more divorces, of fancier houses but broken homes. We've learned how to make a living, not a life. We've added years to our life, but not life to our years. And here's another clincher for me. We've cleaned up the air, but we've polluted the soul. Where's he off? I think he's on. He's on to something about what we have done in all of our advancements. We have made this life quite complicated. The reason for that, and one of the reasons, and I probably there are lots of reasons for it, but I think in part of it, what we have tried to do to remedy, remedy that, to swing the pendulum back the other way, is we have turned into consumerists. We think, okay, I'll buy my way out of this. I'll, I'll, I'll retail therapy my, my, my way out of this. I will, I will buy skinny jeans and, and get in shape and get my way out of this, you know, or, or whatever it may be. We, we think in this consumeristic world, and, and a lot of us in the retail world that make up this room right now, uh, realize this, that we, we feed it, we stoke it, we keep, we keep, because this society is driven by consumerism. The teenagers of our day have greater spending power than in the entire nation of Russia. That's the power of consumerism on our culture, the grip of consumerism on our culture. This is spilt over into our faith. Our faith has become a consumeristic faith. We take what we want and we dish away what we don't want. We take of Jesus what we want, we dish away what we don't want. And it's created, I think, a dichotomy that is not in Scripture, or it's modeled in Scripture, but it's not the the scriptural way where there is a fandom over here for Jesus. But here's a follower. And so few will go this far, but a lot of people will go this far. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And we've talked about that over several weeks. If you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, you could be a fan. If you, if you're aware of him and you, you, you kind of, you kind of identify with him and you kind of aspire to be like him, but you really don't adjust your life to be like him, that's a different thing. We're no different than the most of America. Do you realize, according to Barnes' latest book, Churchless, that 156 million Americans this weekend have no church home, will not find their way to a church home, whether it's in a, in a bar or a school or a church building like this, and, but yet they 65% of them will identify that I'm a spiritual person. So they're spiritually minded, but they're not interested in the things of God. They're not interested in the church of God. They're not interested in Jesus themselves. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus in an intimate way. That was the first uh, example. The, the, the second one is that you, can, you could be a fan if you love anything, fill in the blank, more than you love Jesus. Anything. We, 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 we can give the example of the rich young ruler from last week. He's the only person to ever come to Jesus receive a personal invitation from Jesus to follow him. 
that we clearly see. Now, we're going to see some other examples today that's a big question mark over them. But this is one that where we see clearly this guy walks away and doesn't follow Jesus. He leaves worse off than he comes. He came thinking he was pretty good. He leaves realizing that he is not a follower of Christ. Because he is, and this is the, this is the reality, he was more in love with his money and his possessions. And Jesus called him out on it. Even though he's a moral man, even though he's a godly man, even though he loved his mother and his father, even though he respected his family, even though there were so many of the Ten Commandments that he could keep, but there was the number one commandment of not, not having another God before him that he just couldn't let go of. Again, that's last week's message. We need to realize this, what Paul told young Timothy. Be careful that you don't get sucked into the desires and fall into the temptation of just getting rich. But you know what this complicated world that we've created, what this consumeristic world is, has done to us? Is it's caused us to cheapen Jesus. We've made him just a cheap commodity. we made him into what we want him to be. We have, we have, we, we, we want the Jesus like this, the little meek and mild Jesus in a manger at Christmas time. Or we, we like the Jesus of compassion when we're hurting. Or we, we, we want the Jesus that, that gives us prosperity so we'll follow some prosperity gospel guy. And you know, we, we want, we make up our own Jesus. Therefore, as a result of that, you could be a fan, number three, if you conveniently want to follow Jesus but not sacrificially live your life for Jesus. We make Jesus a convenience, a blessing machine, a a, a dispenser of wealth and health and, and prosperity or whatever else, but we don't see him as something that we give our lives to, that we will throw everything to. We have all of these misconceptions. And I think that what we dealt with last week with the rich young ruler, what we're going to deal with this week in Luke chapter 9, so be finding Luke chapter 9, uh, we're going to find, we're going to find three more examples of three more individuals that Jesus talks with one on one. And as he's on the way to Jerusalem, this is a real turning point in the gospel of Luke. As he begins to go towards Jerusalem and head that way in his ministry, and he ramps it up. But in these conversations, we're going to kind of snapshot, look into the conversations. And the sad thing is, is we don't see in any of these three a conclusion. But maybe that's intentional of God. Because some of you all today, there's still an ellipsis point at the end of the sentence, are you a fan or are you a follower? There's still a question mark that says, are you a fan or are you a fan? We don't know what these guys are going to do, how they're going to respond. One of the times, Jesus literally goes up and offers an invitation. Another time, a guy comes up to him and wants to follow him. And another time, Jesus turns around and asks somebody. We're going to see all three of these played out. You mark them along and follow along as we begin reading in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone, now we don't know who the someone is here in Luke, but in Matthew, he does tell us in Matthew's account in chapter 8, verse 19, that it's a scribe. A scribe was like a, a legal secretary of that day, kept all the court records, knew all the laws. If, if a lawyer or a judge wanted to, 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 to look at a, a law, they would go to a scribe. So this is a very educated, very respected individual that comes to Jesus. And this is what he says to Jesus. I will follow you. What a beautiful statement. 
What a beautiful statement. Jesus opens up his arms and says, come on in. You're following me now. It's really easy from this point forward. Everything is going to be really, really good and easy for you. Now look what he says. And Jesus said, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Question mark. What does the guy do? We don't know. Let's move on. Number two, second guy. To another, he said, follow me. So Jesus now extends the invitation out to him. Follow me. But, and then we're going to find that this, this little injection of a but is going to come in there a lot. But he said, let me first, circle the word first, go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It almost seems as if Jesus is a little insensitive. This man's father is passing or passed away. And now Jesus is like telling him, don't go to the funeral. You know, what's this compassion issue that Jesus is having here all of a sudden? We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 61, the third encounter. And another said, I will follow you. Each one of these examples, the phrase, follow you, follow me is involved here. So this fits perfectly into the series of messages. The Lord said, "Follow, uh, I will follow you, Lord, But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three different examples. In one story, in a few verses, of Jesus and them interacting on the conversation, on the topic of whether or not you're going to follow me or not. And what that entails and what that involves and what it entails and involves is the same tension that we have with whether or not we're following Jesus today. The same struggles. There's misconceptions that are out there. Jesus blows through them right here. I think there's two misconceptions. You find one of the misconceptions in the last two examples, and but you find one, I think, a unique one in the first one. So let's talk about these misconceptions of what it means to follow Jesus. Number one misconception is that your life gets easier when you follow Jesus. Now, I would love to say that that was the case. That when you follow Jesus, everything will be smooth sailing. Whenever you follow Jesus, your 401k will all of a sudden double. When you follow Jesus, that your career, you will never, ever get laid off again on a job. If you'll just do this, this, and this, and you follow Jesus, that your marriage will never have another argument. I wish to say, I could say that you will always be prosperous. Everything will be up and to the right. But look what Jesus says when this scribe comes to him and says, I want to follow you. What was Jesus' words back to him? He says it right there in uh, in verse 58. He says, I'm going to increase your 401k. You're going to be so happy that you're with me. You're going to have a big mansion and uh, you're going to, to, to win the next Talladega race. That's the Ricky Bobby version, okay? This is actually what it says. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. Even the animals of the earth have a place to stay, but I don't have a place to lay my head. I can offer you a rock. I can't offer you a palace. I don't have a whole lot to give you. And one of the greatest tragedies in and around the church today is this prosperity gospel, this name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. If you give a dollar to God, he's going to give $10 back to you. That, that is just heresy. There is nothing in the scriptures about that. Does God bless us? Does God take care of us? Yes, but does everything become easy? Does following Jesus become easy? 
Is it mean that everything is going to not cost you anything and that you're always going to be prosperous? Richard Foster said it well. The loss for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. We are drunk by it. We are sick by this lost desire for more. James said it like this in James 5, 5. He says, your life on earth was full of rich living and pleasing yourself with everything you wanted. You made yourself fat like an animal ready to be killed. Look at our culture. We are eaten alive by the want for more and more and more and more. Now, what we'll do is we call covetedness, we call that ambition. Or we call hoarding, we call that prudence. Or, or greed, we call that industry. And what we do is we relabel it and repackage it, but really what it is is this desire for more and more and more, and we think that we deserve it. We love those hero stories, those great stories of rags to riches. They inspire us. They give us a reason. And then we love those the televangelists or, or the people out there who say, hey, it's your best life ever right now. Just take it. We love that kind of thought, but it doesn't always equal that. It, here's, a, here's a paradoxical question. Think about it like this. Answer this in your head. Who is nobler? The poor boy who becomes rich. The Bill Gates. The Mark Zuckerberg, or what is it, Zuckerberg or Burger or whatever it is, Facebook guy, all right? Uh, is, is, is that, is that an, a noble story? Is a poor boy becoming rich? Or what about this? What about a rich boy becoming poor by choice who gives his life in compassion and love? to redeem the brokenness of mankind. I lean more towards the guy, the boy, who was rich and became poor, who lived a life of less so that we could be blessed, so that we could be complete, so that we could be redeemed. Jesus, in one of His greatest mantras of His life, is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. You look at that and you want to, you want to, you want to encapsulate the life of Christ. You want to put it down to two words that sum up the life of Christ. Serve and give. Give and serve. Now, let's go back to the conversation. Let's go back to the question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because really, if you're a follower, then we're going to live like Him. Does your life, is it marked by the words give and serve? If your paradigm is shifting and you're a follower of Jesus, you will live to serve rather than to be served. And again, in our consumeristic society, this is not a natural. I love it when week after week, there are families and individuals, there are singles and there are marriage, there are families who with their children will go and they'll serve other children in our church, I love it week after week whenever they, they, they breathe in and worship and they exhale in service when they're serving our teenagers. I love it because I know that they're living a more balanced life than the person who just comes to receive, just comes to take. I love it whenever a family says, I'll open up my home. 
I'll be a communitas host. I, I'm not even ready to, to leave, but I'll open up my home. We'll use my carpet and we'll use my TV and we'll use our dishes and, and we'll use my hot water and we'll, we'll, we'll use our, my downstairs or my bonus room and we'll make our family a place where other families can come and connect and worship and serve along beside each other. I love it. I love it whenever our family is a grace point and there's so many of them. And what an amazing event this past weekend when they host families. But more than just like, a, like on foster parents not out, they actually say, you know what? We have an empty spot at the table. We have an empty bed. We have an empty bedroom. We're going to make our home a place to serve those who don't have a family. I love that. I'm bragging on this church because there's so many of you who get the fact that you did not come to, into this world to be served. You came to serve if you're following Jesus. And that's what he's called us to. That's what he models for us. That's what he lives out for us. The second paradigm shift is that we live to give and not to receive. Jesus said, I came to serve and to give. So how does our life, how is our life marked by giving by giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures. How are we giving? See, here's the misconception. Life gets easier when you follow Jesus. Here's the truth. Life gets better when you follow Jesus. Life gets more complete when you follow Jesus. Life gets in balance when you follow Jesus. Because you realize it's not just about you. It's not about what my service. It's not about who gives to me. It's not about who feeds me. It's not about that. It's about how I am giving and how I am serving and what is being asked of me and challenged of me. This Today we're going to have our 196th person to go to Mali from our church on the stage. 196 people. I look back over the nine trips that I've been on, the 40-something people that I've been able to lead on trips. I have enjoyed every trip. It has been an adventure every time. It has been, I've been blessed every time. But here's the thing is, I don't go to be blessed. I go to be a blessing. And you know what? I can, I can look back and I looked at every single name of every trip since 2008 that I've been on. And I looked at every single person yesterday as I just reviewed through their life stories. And I can't say they're, they're, what's been done in their life since then. And I can say this. Everyone who went, went ready to give and they came back having received. Every single person came back more full of God and less full of themselves. Everyone went and came back with greater clarity of what was important and what was not so important anymore. The problem is, is that we live for us. And Jesus says, no, you come and you live to serve. You live to give. You give of yourself. It's not always attractive and it's not always easy. And it's sometimes hot and tiresome and it demands a lot and you have to make sacrifices. But that is the life of following Jesus because that's what Jesus did. Amy Carmichael, one of the first missionaries to southern India, worked among the Muslims in in southern India. And she gave her life for this cause. And her marketing plan was pretty simple and pretty unattractive. This is what she said in her own words. 
We cannot, we cannot offer you anything especially interesting and certainly not exciting. What we can offer you is a little pile of red sand in the southern tip of India where you can have a chance to die. That's it. Jesus Christ models for us a life of servanthood. Models for us a life of giving of himself. It doesn't always get easier, but I'll promise you this, following Jesus, your life gets better. Number two, the second misconception is my agenda is God's agenda. My agenda, God is here and he is going to bless me because I've got this plan, I've got this agenda, I've got this direction. And God, would you just bless this? I've got this new job, I've got this new idea. God, would you just bless this? And we put our agenda out there and we want it to become God's agenda. Misconception. Look at verse 59. When you look at verse uh, 59, you find these guys, two of them, again, it looks as if Jesus is being quite uncompassionate, okay? But let's, let's break it down a little bit. Verse 59. To another, this is the second guy, he said, Jesus extends the invitation to him, follow me. But he said... Let me first, circle the word first, it's a very important word there, first go and bury my father. You think, oh, okay, now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a father you should respect, you honor your father and your mother. There's nothing wrong with going to a funeral, right? What does Jesus say? <laughs> he says, leave the dead to bury the, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It sounds as if Jesus is this hard-hearted individual out there saying, hey, you don't need to be going to funerals. Listen, we know that's not the case. The, G- the time that Jesus went to a funeral four days after his best friend or one of his best friends is dead in a grave, what's he doing? The shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus wept at a funeral. He had a tender heart. He broke up most funerals and rose people back to life again. So he understood. He dealt with life and death, and he did it with compassion. He had compassion. So it wasn't that Jesus was uncompassionate. But let's look at the next guy. So the next guy, he said to another, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but, again, the but comes into play here, but let me first, there's the word first again, say farewell to those at my house. That's a legitimate request, right? You go and say bye to your family because you're going to be going out and going to be serving God and, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus blows him away. He says, listen, you're not worthy. Don't stick your hand to the plow and then turn around and go back. Is Jesus this mean-spirited person? Does God not want us to be able to say goodbye to our family? We know from First Kings, whenever Elisha started following Elijah, that he said, I want to go and say goodbye to my family before I go with you. And Elijah said, go ahead and go do that. And then he, he, and then he went with him. So God's not against that. So what's going on? Here, 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 here. Listen, listen. God's not against funerals. He's not against family. But what he's against is excuses alibis coming up with some god-coded sugar-coated reason to why you won't follow him god didn't lead me that way maybe he didn't but if you're just making excuses up to something that god has called you to I've got bigger plans. Right now I'm focusing on my family. I'm doing, you know, you could put all the, the, the good 
sounding bite-sized morsel answers into the block of God calling you to do something you want all day long. God doesn't tolerate excuses. He'll blow you away. Are you going to follow Him or are you not going to follow Him? Are you going to walk with Him? Because the misconception is, is that my agenda is God's agenda. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Is God's agenda becomes my agenda. That's the truth. Not the lie. Don't follow the lie. Let me tell you a story. A very successful individual. Successful in, in every sense of the word. Now, you might look at this guy. I mean, you might go, okay, that's not successful. But he was successful. What he was doing in his time, he was very successful. He did it well. He accomplished it well. He was a legitimate, little, hear what I'm about to say. Y'all heard it in corporate world. He was a headhunter. But this guy was a literal headhunter. His name was Saul. All right? And he did what he did, and he did it very well. Uh, you can read through his success stories. I mean, his reputation preceded him in towns that he would go to. He would go around and he would travel to do these headhunting jobs. And, uh, and, and he had a reputation that preceded him. And then all of a sudden, on this Damascus road, he meets Jesus. And he skips from being an antagonist of Jesus. He skips over the fandom completely and completely becomes an all-out, sold-out follower of Jesus. And when he does, his agenda goes away. His plans go away. And he becomes a sold-out follower of Christ. And this is what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, everything that I made, everything that I was about, all my goals, successes, objectives in life, everything... I have considered it to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I don't just want to know Him in my head. I want to know Him in my life. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. Now, we're going to come back to that word in a moment. So that I may gain Christ be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own uh, from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, this is why I live. This is the agenda of my life, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Listen, and the fellowship. Of, if Even if I have to suffer, I will suffer to be with Jesus, to follow and to be in step with Jesus. I will even suffer. That is an agenda-changing life. It's not my agenda, it's God's agenda. And you go down to the message and the, he paraphrases the verse, verse 8. He says, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me, is insignificant. And I like this next phrase. Dog dung. All right? You've put in your own word. It's a bunch of... All right? I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. This is a person who absolutely had his agenda, but when he met Christ, his agenda went away. It was no longer about him and what he was about. I want to ask you a question today. I read this past week in an online blog. 
And I want you to just answer this in your heart. What are you holding on to right now that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that's holding you back? If Jesus calls you to be a follower of him, there are so many things in this world that grab a hold of us and that we grab a hold of that will become our agendas, our top number one things, but they literally will ensnare us from following him in the way that he wants to. Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it your own goals and objectives that don't even include God? Is it desire for a relationship that's an ungodly relationship, it's an unhealthy relationship, but yet you love this person so, so much, you will not sacrifice that relationship for your relationship with Jesus? What is it? What are you holding on to that's holding you back? Would you bow your heads with me? Pastor Fell, are you a follower of Christ or are you a fan? Pastor Fell. Yeah, I'm not, we're, not, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a life. We're talking about a paradigm shift. We're talking, about, we're talking about letting go of your agenda and taking up his agenda. We're talking about not just looking for him for, for comfort and security, but man, when he calls you to make a sacrifice, he calls you to go around the world. When he calls you to just open up your home. He said, no, 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 that's not for me, God. That's for someone else. There's no space in my plan, in my five-year plan. Pastor Fell. I hope the song we sang at the, end of the, at the end of the song said earlier, that you can say you lived it all because you gave it all. And right now, I just ask that God would give you an image in your mind, a visual image in your mind of anything, anything, anybody, any idea that you're holding on to that's holding you back. Do you have it? Do you see it? I would encourage you to spend time right now giving that to Him. There's going to be people hanging out here at the front with me praying, available for prayer. People in the landing up there, if you want to pray with them, this is a time when you and God can do business together regarding where you're at and where you're standing with Him. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Father God, commit this time to You. We love You. We don't want to let anything come between our love for you, Lord. We're not just going to follow you conveniently. We'll follow you even when it requires sacrifice and commitment and discomfort and the changing of our agendas so that we can be on your plan first and foremost. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing with us.